Let's worship together this morning. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. When through the woods and forest glades I wander And hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur And hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze Then sings my soul, my Savior How great thou art, how great thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art, and when I think that God his Son not sparing, sent him to die. sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. When Christ shall come, with shout of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my God how great thou art then sings my soul my Savior God to thee how My soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. 
Good morning and welcome. I'm Brian Carroll, equipping pastor here at Cypress Bible Church. My privilege to welcome you here this morning. And before we begin our worship service, we just have a few announcements. And uh, so we are glad that you're here worshiping with us, whether that be in person or remotely, and just glad that you have taken time out of your day to spend time together with us. And uh, hopefully it'll be a time of worship and uh, celebration for you as we focus on our Lord. Uh, the couple of the announcements, this year, Christmas Eve services have changed their times. Some of us get so used to routines that we sometimes forget and don't listen carefully, but they have been moved an hour earlier. They'll be at 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock this year, and so they're moved an hour earlier. We're hoping that'll disperse our attendance a little bit more. In the past, one of the services was more heavily attended than the other, and so that'll be at 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock, so make sure that you make note of that. Uh, at Cypress Bible Church, we believe that uh, wherever you're coming from, uh, kind of a phrase that we use is beginning where you are, becoming more like Jesus. And so that we are all in a journey of becoming who God created us to be. And so uh, wherever you're at in your journey, you are welcome here. Again, whether that's sitting in our uh, auditorium or whether that's remotely um, uh, through computer screens or TVs. And so uh, we're glad that you're here. There are three values here at Cypress Bible Church that we focus on. The first one is to gather, uh, gather for life-changing worship. And so we come together to worship together and, uh, and uh, celebrate our Lord and to learn and grow and encourage each other. Uh, second value that we have is that we grow through life-changing truth. And uh, so that is part of one of the emphasis that we do for that is we encourage everyone to be in a smaller setting, a smaller group. Uh, whether that be online or whether that be in person, uh, to be connected to a smaller community of people as we study the Word together, learn together, encourage each other, and grow together. And then the last thing is to grow through life-changing mission. Uh, you and I would not know about Jesus if the disciples had not been on mission to tell others about Jesus, and we are a byproduct of that. God has given us also that same responsibility that we have to share that good news with others. And so at Cypress Bible Church, uh, we, again, our focus is upon gathering, growing, and going together. And speaking of growing, we have an, um, an alignment series coming up in January. Many of you participated last year in the I Am series, which was on the Gospel of John. Uh, this year, we are also doing an alignment series, and uh, the alignment series is called Becoming More Like Jesus, and it will start on January uh, 10th, and it'll be focusing on the Gospel of Luke. It'll be a seven-week series, and the sermon series, uh, the series will include a sermon series. There'll be Discovery Bible Study booklets, which will be available starting December 10th. Uh, there'll be grow groups and classes available, and uh, uh, there'll be sign-ups for the new groups will begin on December 12th. And so we are encouraging everybody to be part of a group, uh, if at all possible. And again, we're going to provide both virtual off offerings and also in-person offerings. But we'd encourage you to join us as part of that, and together as we are in the journey of becoming more like Jesus. Uh, this morning, I'd like for our, um, for our call to worship, uh, this morning uh, is the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, Advent is a word that means um, coming, uh, it's referring to something coming and anticipation, and this morning the focus is on the word hope, as we anticipate and hope uh, for celebrating Christ's um, birth, and we do that at the end of this month. But um, Advent has been something that's been celebrated for centuries, and a part of that was a, a continual preparation so that when the day of Christ, celebrating Christ's birth, that we are prepared and ready for that. So the verse this morning that I would like to read that was a, a, a message of hope to Israel as they wait, awaited for a Savior to come, and it comes from Isaiah 9, uh, verses 2 and 6 through 7. It says, 
The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. A familiar song will be our final call to worship and leading into worship, so would you please stand with me together. Just let me read these words, and then together we will be able to sing that this morning. As we focus on this song, we are proclaiming a truth uh, uh, about who God is and about Christ's coming. And it says, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Sing this with me this morning. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature
continue in worship this morning, giving our adoration to Jesus Christ, the Lord.
Susan, meet me at a regular spot, and meet me when it's dark, because the fish like it when it's cool outside, but I can't find her anywhere. Oh, there you are! There you are! Where have you been? Where have you been? Well, I've been right here, of course. Susan, is this our regular fishing spot? I don't know. It's usually dark, and you lead the way. So I thought I'd just get here and kind of be near the water. I figured, you know, being near the water would be a good idea. Okay, we found each other. Okay. I left all my stuff at our regular spot, Okay. but... We all can right. get started here if you want, so. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, well, I do have to kind of tell you something. Um, so where's your stuff? Um, here. Well, thank you. You know, you want me to put the worms on, but where's your pole? Um, well, I guess I gotta, I gotta tell you something. You know that special gift you gave me? Yes. The beautiful fishing pole. It's gorgeous. I love it. And it works really well took... when you're with me, but I just, I, I can't find it. What? I know. Susan. It took me three weeks to find that pole for you because it had to be red yeah. and it had to have sparkles on okay. it. And I even had your name engraved on I it. 
know, I love it. Well, it didn't get up and walk away. It's got to be at home somewhere. I'll keep looking. Where was the last place you saw it? In the garage. Whoa, 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 whoa. You don't sleep with your fishing pole under your pillow like I told you to? What is that? Um, well, I I thought my, this could work. I, I, I did it myself. I, I put it there like that, you know. You could put a hook on that, right, and make it work? Susan, I can't put a worm on here. You can? How am I going to cast this out? Well, it won't go very far, but the fish will come to us. Susan, you catch fish this big. I catch fish this big. Well, maybe not that big. Oh, okay. Well. well, if that doesn't work, I brought this. I went to the preschool area and they had some fishing rods too. If I could figure out how to move it, it's kind Okay. Will one of those work? No. No. Well, oh, great. Susan. What are we going to do? We were supposed to be fishing. We haven't fished in so long. All right, Susan. This reminds me of a story. A Bible story? Another Bible story. I do that a lot. And this one's about gifts. Oh, about gifts. Kind of like the fishing rods yeah. are gifts. Yeah. But I love gifts. I know you love gifts. I love and, getting um, them. I love getting them. Yeah, but this is a gift you can't buy. A gift you can't buy? Nope. I don't understand. How can you not have a, how can you have a gift you don't buy? Well, you can't find it on Amazon. No. And you can't go to the mall. This is a gift that God gives you. God gives you a gift. Mm-hmm. And guess what? All of us have special gifts. Every one of us has a gift. Exactly. That is so cool. What, what kind of gift? Are they the same? Do we all have the same gift? Well, no. I mean, I think about you, Susan, and I think about you're always wanting to serve. I do like helping people. Well, when you I do. See something like, you know, if yeah. we're running out of something, I yeah. try to figure out what we can do. do and I, yeah. I help people when I can. I right, like right. I mean, I can think of a lot of times you've helped me. I do. I help you a lot. Yes. You need some help. I do. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what gift do you think I have? I don't know. Who do you think? Uh, what could God have given you? You'd like to tell me what to do a lot. Is that a gift? Kind of bossy? No? No, it's not a gift? I know. You know a lot about God, right? Because you read and they study a lot. And then you tell it me, and then we tell the kids together. So that's kind of like learning, which is kind of like teaching. teaching. So is that, a, is that a gift? That is a gift. That's a gift that God gave you? Yes. To be able to teach people? Yes. I like that. Yeah. 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 In the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 7, 7, it talks about how each one of us has a special gift. That is so cool. God gave us each gifts that are different right. and special. Right. So but, but we need to always remember that just because you got one gift and I got a different gift, we need all of these gifts to grow God's kingdom. Well, that's true. Everybody yeah. needs a different gift. Yeah. God is pretty cool, oh, wouldn't you say? I think God is really cool. Yeah. But without our special gift that you gave me, um, <gasps> we can try to fish. Hi. Okay, let's give it a whirl. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think this is working. No, I'm really hungry. Yeah, I am too. I got an idea. Yeah? Let's go get a filet of fish at McDonald's. Good idea. Well, they have the best fish sandwiches. They do, and I think they know us there too. Stand with us as we continue to worship this morning.
verse by verse through 1 Corinthians, this uh, New Testament letter by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Last week, our focus was on our bodies and how uh, they're designed by God to honor Him, how to honor Him with our bodies. 
Uh, remember, just this background of 1 Corinthians, that the Apostle Paul went to the great city of Corinth and preached the good news of Jesus. And uh, people responded to that message, and a church was formed in the city. Paul uh, spent 18 months there teaching these believers, uh, growing them in their faith and their testimony. And then he left that church and moved on to other cities, other places to, to spread the gospel. And uh, over the next few years, some trouble began to happen in the the small church in Corinth, and they had some things wrong. They uh, misunderstood some truths of Scripture. Uh, they allowed their culture to start to inform their thoughts about uh, the gospel. And uh, Paul hears about this from some people who travel back and forth, some business associates or family members, and he also hears about some of the questions from the Corinthians themselves. They write a letter to Paul and, and uh, state some things or ask some questions. And so Paul writes this uh, letter sometime about five years after he left Corinth to address some of the problems that he hears about to correct some of their misunderstandings. You see, the, the culture of Corinth, uh, which was uh, at virtually every type of sexual practice, was, was uh, not only tolerated, but allowed uh, in uh, Corinth, and that attitude permeated the church as well. And so Paul writes to correct uh, issues about sexuality uh, and marriage relationships, as he does a number of other things, but that's our, our focus now. As we finished up chapter 6 uh, last time in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul instructed the believer to run away uh, from sexual immorality, to flee, to escape from it. And we understood that there's really, for the believer, no such thing as casual sex. Uh, there is, as Paul talked about at the end of chapter 6, this gluing together that, comes, uh, that occurs in sex uh, so that uh, you need to enjoy that sexual relationship within the boundaries God designs in marriage. Uh, otherwise, you experience this piece-by-piece piece disintegration of your soul uh, when you practice sexual activity outside of God's design. And so Scripture teaches the believers not to have sex outside of marriage. Uh, that is uh, the point of the end of chapter 6. Now we come into chapter 7, and we're going to look at the first nine verses today of 1 Corinthians 7. And there the believer is instructed to have sex inside of marriage. Versus not outside, now it's inside of marriage. See, what Paul is doing is he's addressing the two very opposite reactions that Christians had in their sexual permissive culture. Uh, the, the two very opposite reactions are like this. One is to say, well, it's just sex. Uh, it, it doesn't really matter how, when, or with whom you have sex because it has no impact, no connection to your spiritual life your spiritual self. But that isn't true, and Paul addressed that already, uh, to say that sexual activity is significant, and it does have spiritual implications. That's one reaction that the Christians had. The other reaction was to say you needed to completely avoid sex altogether if you want to be really spiritual. So the thought was that if you want to live a holy life, you shouldn't have sex at all, even in marriage. And Paul says, well, that's not true either. Uh, and that's what he's addressing in this passage uh, that we come to this morning. 
Uh, remember I said that Paul heard about what was going on in the Corinthian church, both by people who had, were aware of it and who shared that information. He also knew about it from the letter that the Corinthians had written to him. And so keep that in mind as we start with verse 1 of chapter 7. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now I want to point out something to you, that not all translations recognize that Paul is here quoting the Corinthians, what they told him they believe. If you have a, an NASB or an NIV, they don't put quotation marks around that saying. But I think that is the way that is best understood. Uh, I, I encourage you, punctuation is not necessarily inspired, so I encourage you, if you don't have quotation marks, put them in there to help you understand this passage better. Uh, because uh, this clarifies what Paul is getting at. The two Greek words that start this sentence are peri day, peri day, now concerning. Uh, and this is a phrase that Paul uses six times in this letter. And each time he does it, it signals that he's addressing an issue that the, the church in Corinth has raised. Now, we don't have the letter that they wrote to Paul. That is lost in the dust of history. We, we don't have that letter. But what he is doing here seemingly is quoting back to them something that they have stated in this letter. Or some, This is, I, I would call, a Corinthian catchphrase. It's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Um, and, and Paul's quoting this back because apparently there are some in the church who taught that elite Christians were celibate Christians, that super spiritual people did not have sex. And so Paul quotes this, and then he goes about disproving that, speaking against this. Uh, there were, he's speaking about this group, the opposite of the ones who said it's just sex, doesn't matter, doesn't impact your spiritual life. He's already debunked that. Now he's going to deal with those who say, uh, if you're really spiritual, you don't have sex at all, even if you're married. And so Paul now has to reinforce the, the importance of sex within marriage, and at the same time, he also has to recognize that there are some who have the gift of celibacy, that not all are going to be married, that not all should be married, and, and therefore he has to deal with both sides of this. So let me put out this statement here that expresses something. Maybe you've not seen it expressed this way before. But for the Christian, there must be no sex without marriage and no marriage without sex. Have you ever heard a preacher say that before? I don't know. But that's what we understand from this text. The, the first part, well, that, no, God's designed sex to be within marriage. And then in marriage, there must be sex. So let's see what this is being said here as Paul teaches in chapter 7. By the way, uh, Cadbury, the chocolate company, did a survey a few years back. Uh, it found that 52% of women prefer chocolate to sex. As one woman said, Chocolate provides guaranteed pleasure. That hurts. So I would say, well, for that men, probably not in your best interest to give chocolate as a gift, number one. Uh, but, but also, the Bible really doesn't say anything at all about chocolate, as far as I understand. But it does say an awful lot about sex. And, and uh, we need to deal with that openly and honestly. And so when some Corinthians are saying no sex for anyone... Paul says, you're wrong. 
And he now gives three instructions about sex in marriage. So I want us to take us through each of these three instructions uh, from verses 1 to 9 of 1 Corinthians 7. The first is this. Sexual activity in marriage is a safeguard against immorality. Verse 2. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Now, what I want you to notice right off, and you'll see this throughout the chapter, is that Paul equally addresses both wife and husband. He alternates back and forth. Throughout this chapter, he underscores the rights of each. He underscores the obligations of each. And if you notice the catchphrase the Corinthians had in verse 1, it only mentions men. Uh, The gospel speaks to male and female equally. It speaks to women and men equally. The gospel does. And and that's, Paul is very even-handed as he talks about this subject in this this passage. I, I want you also to see that Paul isn't saying sex is the only purpose for marriage. He's addressing a specific issue and problem in the Corinthian church. This is not giving a full-orbed idea and understanding theology of marriage. Uh, There are other passages, even some written by Paul, uh, that express that uh, in a a greater way. But here Paul is addressing sex uh, in marriage. Uh, And he's saying, if you can't stay pure, find a spouse. There's not an idea of there's a preference of singleness over marriage or marriage over singleness. That's not the issue at all. The issue is whether or not you're able to live sexually in a way that pleases God. And so Paul addresses that head on. And since God created sex to take place within a marriage relationship, the believer has two choices. You can marry or stay single. Singleness is good. Singleness is honorable. Singleness is not better than marriage. Singleness is not worse than marriage but unless you can't stay pure and then that is uh, your option if you are single and enjoying your independence but you're under great temptation or you are failing sexually understand that marriage is God's safeguard for that don't reject marriage for whatever other reason and fall victim to immorality that's Paul says that's not what God designed as he said in chapter 6 flee from sexual immorality now let me also say uh, let me let me repeat again sexual sin is not the worst sin all sin separates us from God every single sin is enough to send us to to eternal punishment to receive the wrath of God Uh, so staying sexually pure will not save you having sex within marriage being married being single will not save you none of the only faith in Christ alone will save you only the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross uh, where he shed his blood gave his life as a sacrifice and atonement for our sin when you put your trust in Christ alone you are saved you are washed clean you are made pure uh, in God's sight you are saved forever because of Jesus so none of this sexual activity that that's not going to save you only Christ saves you Uh, but but here this guard this encouragement against immorality says that that's what marriage is designed for so that's the first truth Uh, but but if you get married what part should sex play in your relationship that brings us to the second uh, truth here that sexual activity in marriage is our obligation 
to our spouse. Verse 3. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, and then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. There's an awful lot in this verse. Let's work through it. Uh, the, the verses 3 to 5 here. Uh, first of all, that, the idea of marital duty, that word duty is one that's used in the New Testament. Let's say uh, Jesus uses it, for example, in Matthew 18 to talk about uh, owing money to somebody else, paying money that you owe to somebody else. So it's this idea of, of what is owed. It's obligation. And, and by the way, this, this passage rebukes the idea of a sexless marriage. Apart from advanced age or illness, uh, there is not a scriptural warrant for a sexual, sexless marriage. Uh, no, that God designed sex for marriage. There, there, and notice here, there's a hierarchy of ownership. that Paul gives it even-handedly to both. Uh, you know, when it comes to your body, uh, your ownership rights come in third. God owns you. Uh, If you're in Christ, you are a temple, as we were reminded last week, of the Holy Spirit. Your body is a temple of the living God. And and so you're in a temple no matter where you go. God is the owner, priority number one. But then also God gives up some of that ownership, shall we say, to your partner in marriage. The temple owner gives some. That's what a marriage ceremony does. It transfers some of those rights of ownership and authority to that spouse. And Paul says, so, so your body doesn't belong to you alone. It belongs to your spouse as well. And, and so in marriage, and you, you are responsible to give up some selfishness and to share appropriately with your partner. In marriage, neither of you has the right to use your body without regard for the other partner. It's an equal and mutual partnership. It does not in any way justify domination of the other, misuse of the other, not in any way. And that's why I love how even-handedly Paul speaks to the ownership both of the wife and the husband here. Uh, This authority, this power that you give up to the other person when you get married is something certainly that must be used within the context of biblical love and not domination. But you are responsible to act in a way uh, that makes that marital duty desirable for your partner so you can't be demeaning and degrading and disgusting and expect that no uh it it can't be that we're dominating in any way Uh, so men uh perhaps you need to compromise your need for sexual relief to give the emotional intimacy that your wife desires uh Women, you may have to compromise your need for emotional intimacy to give the physical release he desires. Uh, But understand that sex, according to the Bible, is not merely about procreation. Uh, This passage and others speak very clearly, I think, to that. That that sexual activity is not simply about procreation. And that is a misunderstanding of some branches of the church and some Christians. Uh, The the first time I really remember running into this was very bizarre. Uh, I came home from college and a, uh, went to my home church and a guy in that church who was probably 10 or 15 years younger than my dad and he had four children, 
the youngest were twins. And for some reason, I don't remember what we were talking about. And all of a sudden, he just said to me, you know, my wife only believes that uh, sex is for having children. That's the only time we will ever have it. And he said, so I really lost out when we had twins. And I was like, okay, I didn't really need to know that, but thanks for sharing. Uh, Clearly, she had a wrong view, biblically speaking, of what sex... sexual activity was for, Uh, but but, uh, his views were also a little strange. Um, Understand that no sex within marriage is to be the exception, not the rule. Paul makes that very clear. Look at this next screen here as I break this out, that if there's any abstinence in marriage, it must be, first of all, mutual. You have to do this by agreement, Uh, Otherwise, you deprive each other. That word that Paul uses is is a word that means to cheat or swindle. In other words, your body belongs to your spouse so much that depriving your spouse of sexual activity in marriage is an act of fraud. So don't, don't deprive them of that. Don't deprive them of love or don't deprive them of respect either. But you can't stop your sex life in marriage except by agreement. In fact, the word uh, here is, a, is the, word, the Greek word is symphonium, where we get our word symphony, unless you're in concert with one another. Uh, in symphony, don't stop. Uh, second, it's all, that is also temporary. You can agree, but even that must be temporary. It must be and for a limited time. Uh, the time refers to a specific period or limited duration. So if age... Uh, is not restricting you. If health is not restricting you and there's no sexual activity, then that's a danger sign. See, the church in Corinth was trying to avoid Satan's temptation. Some of those people in Corinth were trying to avoid Satan's temptation by banning all sex. And Paul says, you better start having marital relations or Satan is going to start working on you. He's going to take advantage of you. And then third, uh, he emphasized that that absence in marriage has to be purposeful, has to have a purpose. It's so that there's a reason, so that you may pray. Um, the, the, actually, there's an article in front of the word prayer here. Uh, it's the prayer. So in other words, it's a specific prayer. Uh, there's a purpose for it. There's a meaning for it. So it might be, you know, we had a period of 30 days of, of prayer uh, in October. Uh, maybe you'd agree. Well, that's a time that this will not happen. Or maybe there's a specific prayer request that you have or a need in your life and, and you agree. Well, at that time, we're going to focus on, on that uh, alone and you agree together to do that. So here are these first two truths uh, that we've covered already uh, of the three instructions. The first is that sexual activity in marriage is a safeguard against immorality. And then it's our obligation to our spouse. So let's now come to the third instruction that Paul gives. And that is sexual activity in marriage is our gift from God. Our gift from God. Verse 6. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So the concession that Paul refers to here, which is not a command, I believe he's he's referring back to verse 2, that you have the right to get married because of immorality, to avoid that. 
But, uh, emphasizing here that your spirituality is not determined by your marital status. Uh, that's not at all the determination. Either marriage or singleness is a gift from God. And understanding there's a great deal of pressure in our society. Uh, there has been for probably a couple of hundred years at least that marriage is the norm and marriage is preferred. That's not the biblical approach. Uh, God calls us to one or the other. And, and, and the point here about giftedness is don't do what God has not gifted you to do. If he's not gifted you to be married, don't be married. If he's not gifted you to be celibate, to remain single, then don't do that. Now, uh, the word incel is become part of our more common vocabulary you might not be familiar with it or you might be very familiar with it it simply stands for involuntary celibate Uh, that is a part of our culture i don't know how long it's been around but that is someone who does not want to be sexless without sexual activity but involuntarily has to be that way usually because they can't find anybody to have sex with that's the the import and uh, there are all kinds of uh, uh, in this the spectrum of those would who would identify themselves as incel uh, and some of those would advocate rape and some of those would advocate violence and in fact we've had some gun violence that was perpetrated by someone because they were uh, incel uh, involuntary celibate Well, that is completely unhealthy and wrong. Um, And uh, by the way, if you know someone who would qualify, let's say, as an incel, uh, give them some counsel. Give them some advice. Give them some biblical uh, understanding and teaching. They might need some practical tips uh, uh, for how to to act, what changes they might need to make in their personality uh, or in their hygiene. just something practical in that way. Uh, because as Paul says, it's better to marry than to burn here. And so that should not be um, the focus of your life. Paul is single, at least at this point in his life. It's possible that he was married earlier, uh, but his wife could have died. His wife could have left him because of his faith in Christ. Uh, as we'll see later in uh, 1 Corinthians, that uh, if a, an unbeliever doesn't want to stay with you, then you're not at fault. That could have happened. But right now, at least, he's single and he prefers it that way because he appreciates that freedom that allows him to, to serve God with all his heart and not to be focused on a family. You realize Paul faced danger and death consistently in his life. Uh, so he did not have to worry about what uh, uh, leaving a family behind. But he says, hey, that's no advantage for you to be single if you're going to burn with desire. So you need to deal with that. He says, if they cannot exercise self-control, and that if is, it refers to a factual condition, that this does indeed happen. There are those who can't exercise self-control, uh, and, and therefore you need to, to marry. And if you are married, don't abuse that gift and live like you are single, as some of the Corinthian Christians were doing. So uh, you might say, well, I want to be married. I need to be married. What do I do? Let me give you some, uh, some suggestions about this. Uh, first of all, don't seek marriage. Seek a person to love. Seek someone you can give self-sacrificial love to uh, and, and to love them the way that, that scriptures command. And then don't just look for the right person, become the right person. You understand that marriage is one of the great tools that God uses to improve us. Those that God has blessed with marriage, that's a tool that God is using in your life 
to shape you, to mold you, to change you, to become more like Jesus unless you resist and rebel. Uh, Through compromise in marriage, through conflict in marriage, you have the opportunity to grow. But that's not the only way God uses, it's not the only tool God uses in your life. And certainly if you are single or are not yet married or will always be single, you must be finding other ways to grow as well, as we all should. So don't spend time, if you are seeking to be married, don't spend time uh, on the hunt uh, as, as much as you need to spend time on becoming a better person, becoming a better follower of Jesus, uh, improving, increasing uh, your uh, life. And then uh, the next is suggestion is to trust God to provide the right one at the right time. I find this to be the most difficult because I don't know about you, but my time and God's time are almost never on sync. Uh, God's timing is so far different than mine, my expectations and what I think should be right. Uh, But God's timing is always perfect, regardless of how it meshes with my timing. I could give you many examples here. I'm going to just choose one. But um, uh, when uh, our family moved to take a church in Chicago, um, I made it one of my goals to visit the, the household of every person that was uh, a member of the church. And uh, 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 time and strength failed me, but I did get uh, to 200 different homes in the course of just a tad over a year. And uh, in many, in some of these, particularly if they were women alone, Amy would come, my wife would come and, and uh, uh, visit with me. And one of those was with Gina. We went to Gina's condo and uh, uh, talked with her, and she's a delightful person, just one of the funniest people uh, I've ever known. Uh, and just uh, uh, She's uh, very tall, she's fit, attractive, uh, had a great career, and uh, she was at that time in her early 40s. And she had never been married and kind of hinted that she would really like to be married. And... Uh, at the close of our visit together, as we delighted in sharing about what was going on in her spiritual life and so on, uh, we asked her, is there anything that we can pray for you specifically about? And she said, pray that God would give me uh, a husband who loves Jesus. And uh, so we prayed, and I think Amy particularly prayed about that. And within a year, uh, Gina met Ed. And Ed was very much like Gina. He was funny and intelligent and, and tall, and, uh, uh, and he had just come to know Jesus uh, and was growing in his faith. Um, we had the privilege of seeing Ed uh, become a deeper and deeper follower of Christ, um, seeing him grow and develop, and I had the privilege of doing their premarital counseling and then performing the marriage ceremony and now for over 20 years, the, the Gina and Ed have been great friends of Amy and myself. Uh, so I, I know that Gina was struggling at age 40 and 41. For, like, God, what's happening? Here I am unmarried. Here, uh, what, what's going on? God's timing wasn't right. Ed was the perfect uh, match for her. Uh, it just had to be at that right time. 
And now they've been married for over 20 years at this stage of life. Uh, and, and so trust God to provide that right way. I could give you other examples that are even more uh, challenging than that. And then finally, trust God to give you the strength to stay pure until then. Whenever that timing is, you're, you're asking God uh, that he will provide you what you need to uh, stay pure. So uh, understand that sex is God's gift. And it's only unspiritual when practiced apart from his design. That's the argument Paul has to give to this group of Corinthians, however big it was, that we're saying, uh, you know, that we, we got to avoid it altogether. No, he's saying this is God's gift. And it's not going to be unspiritual unless you do it outside of his design and parameters. And, and there's no greater satisfaction to live God's way as an individual or as a couple, however he has gifted and called you to be. Now, Jesus said... Uh, Matthew 19, verses 10 to 12, Jesus said, some of you may choose to renounce marriage for the sake of the kingdom. And maybe you have done that. Jesus talks about that possibility. Some may say, yeah, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to be married because I want to so much focus on serving God in this day. And if that is you, if, if God has called you to that kind of singleness, then use your energy, use your time, use your freedom, use your passions to do more for God. And the bottom line is that God created the beauty of sex to be experienced within a loving marriage relationship. And if you aren't married, don't let culture warp your perspective. Don't let others around you uh, warp the biblical truth that is stated here. Um, and then let me say it this way, that marriage and married sex is for purity and intimacy. It's for purity and intimacy. Um, many of us might need to consider some changes in our lives today. There, there might be some singles who need to get their sexual lives under control. There might be some married people who need to examine their physical relationship and enjoy God's gift as he designed. I love uh, what Ray Ortland said. Uh, he, he talked about how marriage flourishes within both form and freedom. He set that up by saying, you know, we have people who, conservatives, he said, tend to appreciate form more often. That is, they like control. They like things to be uh, constrained. And he said, but progressives, they tend to like freedom better. Uh, no restraints, no control. And both of those sides have their issues, Ortland said. He says, marriage is designed for both form and freedom. He said, because sex is like fire. Sex is like a fire. How's that, Ray? Ray said, well, in a fireplace, fire keeps us warm. Outside the fireplace, it burns the house down. Keep the fire, he said, within the marital fireplace and stoke that fire as hot as you can. Keep the fire within the marital fireplace and stoke that fire as hot as you can. I don't know what God, by His Spirit, may be calling you to do today, what gift He has placed in your life, but give Him honor and glory and use it to the fullest for His honor. I would invite you to stand with me as we close this service and pray the words that Jesus said to His disciples when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And this 
this prayer speaks to all kinds of things. Uh, but I want us to close this service in reciting this prayer together and use the phrase, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. All right, let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thy is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And now may the God of peace, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Go in peace. Say